What's up? It's episode 119, Pain Points of Wealth and Economic Growth Continues. Much to the chagrin of many Wall Street strategists, the economy continued to grow in the first quarter. Earnings season is upon us, and earnings have been, well, pretty good. Technology has been leading the way, markets are going higher, and the French stock market is leading all markets. So it's crazy out there. We're going to break it down for you today, and we're going to talk about financial independence variables that you need to factor in when it comes to you becoming financially independent. Check it out. We got a fantastic show. You know, I think the reason the French stock market's doing so well is because Ryan owns so many Louis Vuitton handbags. What do you think, Dad? I think it's, you know, they're, they're pushing off the retirement age to 64. <laughs> so that's uh, two years of extra productivity that the French are going to have now. Um, I don't know. It just it, it blows my mind. I mean, when you tell anyone that the French stock market's leading the way this year, they, they think you're making it yeah, up. Yeah, it's unbelievable considering that uh, this is a country that takes two months off every year for the summertime. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really good to me. I know. I might move there. I mean, it sounds, it sounds pretty appetizing. Yeah. And it's, Hey, it's the most visited country in the yeah. world. There must be something good going on there. But hey, look, look where we are. Like the GDP came in at 1.1% positive. I mean, it was below what the estimates were. But, um, you know, just remember what all the pundits and, and all the pessimists and perma bearers were telling us in the last, what, 12 months to 18 months, that we would be in a, a severe recession right now. We'd be in a, a bear market. Um, things would be awful. Uh, what happened? Yeah. I mean, did, did these guys get it a little bit wrong or what? Well, I think, you know, the, the best part about Wall Street strategists are it's like, okay, so far we've been wrong, but let's double down and just say, well, wait, wait, the recession is going to come later in the year. We were joking. It's not going to come early. It's going to come later. Um, but, you know, from what we look at and, you know, the one thing we've talked about kind of week after week here is that employment market just doesn't seem to be cooling off. And, you know, people have jobs. People's wages are going up. And if we look at inflation, it's been a slow drag, but it is starting to come down. And by the end of the year, the other big factor could be productivity because, you know, the one thing we saw last year and the year before with the pandemic is people were less productive because they were working from home. It's funny. It doesn't matter if Chris is in the office or out of the office. He's never that productive. But for, for most of us, we are more productive in the office. Well, you know, I will say that all my notes for today's podcast were written on ChatGPT, so it just gives me more opportunity to go out sailing and take more vacations. So what you're telling me, Chris, is you're not really even on this podcast today. <laughs> That's right. This is all AI. AI, Chris. I, I prefer the AI version better. It's actually much smarter and more intuitive, so go figure. You know, maybe we can get the AI version of Ryan, which is actually charming. <laughs> well, you know, guys, here's the thing. You know, when you look at when these forecasts were made, even Jamie Dimon, right, arguably the greatest uh, you know, CEO in the banking industry in the world, right, runs one of the most productive, largest banks and just made a phenomenal acquisition of First Republic Bank that ran into a few problems. Um, when he said that there was a hurricane on the horizon, think about when he made that. It was when the market was making its low last June, right? So it just goes to show you that no matter how intelligent you are, no matter how much information you have, investing is emotional. So when things look really dire and the market is down, you know, people project the future based on the most recent experience. It even happens to brainiacs like Jamie Dimon. I mean, if I were an investor in J.P. Morgan or if I sold out of the market based on what Jamie told me, I'd be sending some hate yeah. mail right now. Well, it goes back to that that we call that conventional wisdom, right? I mean, as of last fall into the uh, end of last year is when rates really spiked up and all of a sudden you were getting 4% on a treasury bond or getting 5% down a treasury bond. And it felt like such a good decision because the uncertainty was extremely high as it is today. 
and then I hear this all the time. I just hear a lot of people saying, well, I'm just going to lock my money in for four or 5% and wait for things to settle down. And as Bob, you like to say, things settle up. Well, the market's up like 15, 16% since the fall. And meanwhile, if you locked into a four or 5% treasury, well, it's going to take you all year to get that return. And meanwhile, a year from now, rates could be lower again. So we've talked about that a lot, but that opportunity cost is huge. And most investors have already missed the boat. Well, you know, it's interesting, too. It's like, you know, investors also don't think about the fact that we are in a global economy. You know, Rai, you and I uh, were out in California last week visiting a client of ours. Um, they actually come from India. And one of the things they were telling us was that they were in India and that there was a shopping mall in New Delhi. The Louis Vuitton store had a line around the block. No, that's, that's a great point. And LVMH, if I'm saying it correctly, is the number one stock in the French stock market. And that's exactly what France is benefiting from, is these emerging markets are becoming middle class at a huge rate. Um, and that's right. They're from New Delhi. And he said, like, it looked like a mall, like out of Los Angeles. <laughs> right? He never saw anything like that growing up in New Delhi. And I think, you know, that's when you think about the big pictures and the, and the global picture is think about all the middle class that are going to be created over the course of the next couple of decades. And of course, you know, capitalism is all the things that Americans and Europeans can sell them, right? It's like, it's kind of a simple equation, actually. You know, guys, when I started in the business, there was about uh, 4 billion people on the planet. And now we're, what, 8.5 billion or some crazy number? Um, you know, it's, it's just incredible. It's like the, the markets have always gone up over time because populations have increased. And now you've got the internet, you have technology. You know, I'm, I'm a smart kid in, in India. And I'm able to see what's happening in China, in Europe, in the United States. All I'm thinking is, hey, I want a piece of that, right? I mean, it's just, it's incredible how capitalism has spread around the globe. And there's, you know, less poverty than ever in the history of the planet. And there's more people than there's ever been. And, you know, if I sell apples for a living, I'm pretty happy, right? Whether it's an Apple phone or, or an Apple, <laughs> right? And more people to sell to. Yeah, no, I think that's that's the bottom line. That's why you want to have a global portfolio, right? The one we, we see probably about 50 portfolios a month. And it amazes me. Well, it doesn't amaze me because the international markets haven't done as well the last decade, but over the longer term, they do just as well as the US markets, just how underinvested investors are right now in the global economy. And let's be real, the real growth is going to be overseas over the next couple of years. It's not going to be here in the US. Yeah, but you know, there is growth in the US, guys. I mean, look what happened. It's last quarter GDP. You know, if you read underneath the, you know, the headline, um, you know, what happened was that the, a lot of companies were selling out of their inventory. They weren't building inventory. Meanwhile, you know, consumers going wild, right? The consumer spending was up dramatically. So I would tell you that probably the next quarter GDP, you're going to see inventory build, uh, which is going to make a more another positive GDP, which is just going to push the pair of bears off for another year, like you said earlier, right? Oh, no, I'm not wrong. I'm just early. Hey, dude, you're wrong. You know, it's like the economy's growing. I don't know what you're looking at, but you're not looking at the same data I look at. Well, you know, it's a, to, you know, the, and the problem with that, to Ryan's point, is that you know you've got a lot of people sitting in, you know, in cash and treasuries. As a matter of fact, I just looked at a portfolio. They've got about a half a million dollars just sitting in cash. I mean, just missing out on you know big potential returns and putting their retirement at risk. Well, that's why you always have to diversify, right, guys? I mean, it's like we we diversify across all these asset classes and different maturities and different credit ratings because, you know, it's like spare tires. So you go on a long trip, you want to have a spare tire, you might get a flat, you know, something might not work out. You know, you've got to have a contingency plan. You do. And I think, uh, you know, the other thing to think about when it comes to the market is, you know, we talk about this a lot. It's just like, it's the difference between reality and expectations and going into this earnings season. I mean, it's not a great earnings season, right? Actually, earnings are going to be negative this quarter, 
but they're coming in much less negative than was anticipated. And, you know, I think it's just human behavior, right? Like when we get negative, we get really negative and we overshoot on the downside with our expectations. Uh, like you said, Bob, you know, we kind of go with our most recent experience and last year was a bad year in the stock market. And meanwhile, expectations are beating because I think, again, we just kind of overshoot what we believe is happening on the downside and the upside, right? We get too rosy in our view when things are going well, and we just get way too negative when things are bad. And that's what you're seeing right now. It's just like expectations are getting beat handedly because we were all just so, so pessimistic. Well, you know, if you love the market, it never loves you back, right? It only spends about 5% at its all-time high. And, you know, our portfolios hit their all-time highs like over a year and a half ago, right? So, you know, we're not back to the highs yet. Meanwhile, there's plenty of opportunity with your dividends and the interest that's coming due with your savings. And, you know, people get focused on the wrong things like, well, you know, my portfolio was at an all-time record high a year ago, January. I'm going to wait to invest till it gets there because I'll feel better. It's not about feeling. It's about opportunity. It's about valuation. And valuations are great in different parts of the world and different parts of the market. You know, value hasn't been moving up this year. That's a great place to go. You know, they get the, you know, consistent dividends, consistent dividend growers. Um, and it's, 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 you know, undervalued relative to growth more than it's ever been in history. Yeah. Leave your emotions out of it, Bob. I like <laughs> that. Um, which also means another point. I mean, this year technology has been the big driver in the U S all the big mega cap names have, I was like five stocks have accounted for like 60% of the move in the S and P 500. But I think you have to be careful there because if you look at like Facebook's a great example or meta now, I always call it Facebook. It was up like 14% last week. And you're thinking, wow, it's doing awesome this year. It still has to go up another 60% to get back to its high. <laughs> so, you know, technology is having a big bounce, but those stocks are still way off here. And I think one of the big mistakes investors are going to make here is to pile back into tech. You know, valuations are still high. And if you start looking at the revenue growth now, it's like single digit, right? I mean, it's, it's actually slowing drastically, yet those stocks still trade very expensively. So I think to what you just said, Bob, is if you're going to start allocating capital, you have to be smart here. Don't put the money back into the winners of last year. You got to start to you know get that capital globally and thinking more about what's going to happen in the future, like you're talking about, Chris. Like places like India that are rocking right now. Well, you know what, guys? All I can say is that you know you've got the largest populations in the world. Places like India, you know, people are their their populations growing. People are buying things. People have cash. People are spending money. You know, that's what drives markets at the end of the day. That's good enough for me. So my advice is just stay in. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 119, Pain Points of Wealth. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially, literally at any stage of your journey. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we think about every day. But if you're thinking to yourself, you'd like a more hands-on approach and you saved over a million dollars for your financial independence plan, Bob, Chris, and I will run for you our total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review where we look at everything. We'll build you your own personalized financial portal. There's no other firm out there that will do this work up front. We literally will give you a bird's eye view of your entire net worth, hone in on every issue you need to address today, whether it's an income plan for retirement, how to take Social Security, diversification. Did you get hit hard last year as, your mark, as the markets were just all over the place? Or are you just sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, trying to figure out what to do? We'll put together a full investment game plan, show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we'll look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high-cost products that are very tax inefficient, whether it's an annuity, mutual fund, brokerage products, structured products. We'll go through every investment you own, a deep dive, 
show you where all the hidden costs are, show you how to reduce that cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make, it's what you take. We'll give you our full tax playbook. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan if you saved over a million dollars for your financial independence plan. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right, it's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And Bob and Chris, you know, at our firm, Pain Capital Management, and we focus solely on creating financial independence plans for people, figuring out how you can live off your money uh, when you can stop working, whether it's retirement, early retirement. And, you know, the one thing that when it comes to financial planning is there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of variables that you can't really perfectly figure out or solve for when it comes to your plan. So I thought we could talk today about some of those uncertainties that you have to somehow factor into your portfolio uh, to make sure that really stay on your path to what we call financial independence. Well, the first one's a biggie, guys. The first one's longevity, because uh, none of us really have a clue as to how long we're going to live. But you know, if you look at life expectancy back at 1900, the average life expectancy was 43 years old. Today, it's 77 and a half. So you know, clearly we're living longer. So you really got to plan for that. You know, the idea is that you don't want, you don't want to outlast your money. You want your money to outlast you. And you got to plan for living longer than your parents did. Now, Chris, you're right. I think yeah. that's one of the biggest issues is number one, we don't know how long we're going to live in. And no one wants to talk about their own mortality. But, you know, chances are you're going to live longer than your parents. Chances are you're going to live longer than you expect. Um, you've got to make provisions. And you've got to make provisions in your financial plan for that, you know, for that to, um, you know, to be a, a certainty to yeah. handle that uncertainty. Well, that's a great point because, you know, we run those projections out to age 90 or 95. Um, you know, the one thing we find that a lot of you don't account for is those extra health care costs because either you've got to insure for it, uh, whether it's a long-term care policy or you've got to self-insure for it. And, you know, a lot of times self-insuring is cheaper, but you have to run those numbers because I had a client, we ran the projections for them. And, you know, basically said, just, just show me running out of all my money at age 90. And then I want to be done at that point. And that says, well, that's great. <laughs> that sounds perfect. But what if along the way you have extra healthcare costs that, that put a big dent uh, in your lifestyle. But then we looked and, you know, they actually owned some big properties that they could sell. And that was kind of their insurance policy for healthcare if something went wrong. But you need to account for that in your plan. And I would say like most of you, have not done that. And that's going to be a bigger, bigger factor as we live longer. Yeah, you know, another biggie too is like for anybody who's under 50 right now, I don't even include social security. I mean, it may be there, but you know, it probably won't be there in the same way that it is today. And you really got to think about your financial plan more on your own steam rather than, you know, depending on a pension, which really don't exist that much anymore in social security. Yeah, in essence, you got to look at your portfolio as you're creating your own pension. You're, you're self-insuring yourself, you know, with a, a pension-like strategy. So it's not about buying low or selling high. It's about you know building a portfolio that compounds on itself because the longer you live, the larger the portfolio is going to grow, which is hard to see when you're just you know staring at the screen or looking at your at your statement that's up or down for the month. So you need to do those projections. You need to understand that uh, there's more important things you know than planning your next vacation. Right? You really got to spend more time planning your financial life. <laughs> you know, Ryan and I were talking last week, Dad, we also think that's probably a good idea for parents to think about funding their children's retirement. So, you know, you got to plan for that longevity too. Well, you know, you don't want your kids to be lazy. <laughs> well, I guess you failed with Chris. Um, you know, the, the other the other big variable, 
<laughs> let that sink in a little bit. But I, I think the other variable is is interest rate changes, which we talked about earlier in the show today. And you know, a big mistake I think a lot of investors are making right now is they're playing the short game. It's like, okay, interest rates have come up a lot. But you know, look, the Fed could actually lower interest rates at the end of this year into next year, and rates could be a lot lower. So be smart. Lock into some of those longer-term rates for a longer period of time. It's very seductive to put all your money in short-term bonds paying 4 or 5%, but that doesn't solve your long-term problems. Because again, if rates go down, your bonds come due, and now you're only getting 2 3%. Meanwhile, your cost of living continues to go up during retirement. Um, you know, you're not thinking about the long game. And I think that's a big mistake investors are making right now. They're not thinking about investing for the long term. They're thinking about investing for the short term. And that's a problem. Hey, Rye, what a phenomenal point. I mean, it's just, I've been through a lot more of these cycles than you guys have, of course, but there's nothing I can remember, um, you know, more damaging than becoming enamored, you know, with short-term interest rates. I mean, we had money market rates at 19%, you know, 30, 40 years ago. No one wanted to invest in the stock market. No one wanted to buy 10-year, 20-year bonds. The biggest mistake of their lives because that money compounds, you're getting valuations that are, you know, that you never see in your lifetime. And it's so counterintuitive. And that's why investing is so hard. It's a great point. And the other variable that in, it's, you can't predict it, but is, is taxes. You know, tax rates change all the time. And I'm guessing with like raising the debt ceiling and all this inordinate amount of debt that we've added over the course of the last couple of years, is taxes at some point are probably going to go higher. Historically, a very low, low tax rates. Like you have to be proactive about your tax situation. And it's not about like setting offshore accounts uh, in the Caribbean to avoid tax, right? Like it's the simple tweaks you can make uh, to your portfolio that no one exploits that are completely legal um, that have the biggest impact. And it amazes me how most investors and most of you miss those just huge tax advantages that you can take advantage of every year and you just don't do it. And that has like the most positive impact on your portfolio because we always say it, it's not what you make, it's what you take. Yeah, I looked at a portfolio the other day and uh, this person had taxable bonds in their taxable account, and they're in like a 35% tax bracket. I mean, easy solution there, you know, own municipal bonds where the interest is tax-free. You know, your point, Rye, it's not about what you make, it's about what you take. You know, I was shocked the other day. I did, I did a review with a client and he said, um, Bob, do you take taxes into consideration on all the different moves you make in my portfolio? I mean, our portfolio is so tax efficient and we tell our clients all the time, but they don't even realize it. So you can imagine if they don't have us as an advisor, don't have an advisor, you know, how much money is being thrown away year after year with tax inefficient portfolios? It makes a huge difference. I mean, it, you know, one year, two year, eh, not a big deal. But you look at it over a lifetime of a portfolio it's significant. It could be the difference between you living a wonderful life and then struggling later in your years. Well, just a little more self-promotion there, but I just can't imagine being a client getting great tax advice from you and looking at your magnificent hair while getting that advice. <laughs> I think I would I would charge I think we could charge double the fee for that now that I think about it. So yes, you should talk to us about that. You know, I can't even do Zoom calls anymore, Rye, because that's become Well, I, I think the problem <laughs> is like, you know, the whole Zoom screen doesn't fit all your hair in there. It's like, yeah, you literally have to enlarge the screen to get all your hair in there. But no, no, it's a great point. It's a great point. And and it's just so so critical. And and we find, you know, in our profession is just like most of you are not taking advantage. Uh, of huge tax benefits, and, and you got to be aware of it. You know, another thing too is it, it, when it comes to uh, your investing portfolios, it's like what's going to happen in Washington, what's going to happen with the political situation. You know, if we look at what's going on right now, you know, as investors, it just seems like Washington can't get anything done, and that's good for us. Hey, gridlock is good, Chris. The markets love gridlock. 
Um, there's always going to be a changeover. The pendulum swings in both directions. Uh, but unfortunately, it's the radicals on either side that get all the attention. And, you know, and a lot of times, you know, my clients are running around with their hair on fire because, oh, my goodness, you do hear what they said last night. What they say and what they do are two different things. Yeah. Um, you know, over time, it's going to work out. It's uh, things you can't be too concerned with, but that's what creates volatility, yeah. and that's also what creates opportunity. Well, I, I would mention there, too, is the media makes you feel like anytime something happens on Capitol Hill, that you have to make a huge adjustment to your portfolio. And I can say, honestly, in the last 20-plus years that we've been doing this together, Dad, is we've never changed a portfolio because of what's happening in Washington. Hmm. <laughs> you know, Barring any sort of tax rules or something like that, just because some, like the debt ceiling is a great example of what's happening right now. We've never changed a portfolio in 20 years, and I'm sure you can test over 50 years it's the same thing. So, you know, it doesn't have the big impact that the media likes you to believe. It's so much more important to focus on allocating your portfolio based on your goals, not based on the fickleness of what's happening in Washington right now. Well, you know, again, it, 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 politics, I mean, it impacts people so significantly. Um, we have clients who in the past, before they were working with us, that stayed out of the market for four years because the other side was in the White House. <laughs> Um, and meanwhile, these are people who are running companies and they're successful. And I'm like, well, what would you, did you go to work every day? You know, while this person was in the white house, why did you think the markets <laughs> wouldn't operate? Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it probably, it sounds so smart to them when they do it, but in hindsight, never, ever make an investment decision based on your political, your political viewpoint, you know, take those goggles off. Amen. That's a Bobism not to forget. Um, you know, lastly here, we'll wrap up. It's just like, you know, everyone wants to game the market. Everyone wants to predict what's going to happen next. And we talked about it earlier on the show today, like who would have guessed this year, the French stock market. I mean, Europe's had like a, I had horrible news last year, uh, was going to be the number one market in the world uh, of developed nations and technology, which got hammered last year would be leading the way here in the U S it's like, you know, expect the unexpected. Don't predicate your portfolio. Uh, or your financial plan based on thinking you can predict what's going to happen year over year in the stock market, like mm. forget about it. It's one of the hardest. It's literally impossible to do as far as I've seen in my career. Well, I, I particularly enjoyed, we, we spoke to a, a potential client the other day, and they assured me that they had read everything that I read, that they were they understood completely the history of the markets. Um, and so we find out that, number one, they're not invested. Number two, they're studying to find the best companies out there so that they can invest <laughs> in the future. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You read everything that I read, and you came to the wrong conclusion. You know, it's like, if you don't understand that it's impossible to beat the market after reading everything that I've read over the last 50 years, you, you know, you, you just don't understand how to invest. So, you know, it's so hard. You can't beat the market. You know, don't beat it. Join it. Be smart. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's not that you don't know. You're informed. And if you're informed, you're going to be successful. All right, it's the hidden facts of finance. Random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, you'll appreciate this. The Japanese stock market is still down from its 52-week high from last summer, but still nearly 30% below where it was in 1989 which, man, that's when you were in your, your heyday as a stockbroker at Merrill Lynch. Yeah, I was very upset, Rye. They bought Pebble Beach, you know, the iconic golf course. Um, and that's when I knew it was over. But 
you know, it just goes to show you know, all markets revert to the mean. The Japanese market hasn't yet gone back to its all-time high. That's why, again, you'd have to be diversified, right? I believe all markets revert to the mean. This one's taken a lot longer than others, um, but doesn't mean there's not opportunity in the Japanese stock market right now. All right. Bullish on the Japanese. Well, they sell a lot of stuff to China, so I like that. Chris, Josh Harris bought the Washington Commanders for $6 billion. The highest price ever for an NFL franchise. That's a lot of money. Well, you know what? In my experience, uh, I'm not a huge fan of sports, but it seems like owning a sports franchise is a pretty darn good moneymaker. I don't know if you guys remember back in 1994, Jeff Laurie purchased the Philadelphia Eagles for $190 million. Today, it's worth over $4.2 billion. That's a 2,400% uh, return over 29 years. So I think that's a pretty good investment. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Talk about just all the money in sports. Like, will it ever, ever slow down, I wonder? Bob, of course, gold's current price is at near record high, only in nominal terms. In real terms, adjusted for inflation, gold is a long way off. Back in 1980, talking about the 80s a lot today, gold peaked at an inflation-adjusted price of more than 3000 in today's dollars. That was a decade after the U.S. left the gold standard and a time of rising inflation recession doesn't sound like gold's a very good investment, Bob. You know, we weren't very tech-savvy back then, Rye. In order to buy gold, you had to actually go to an office to purchase it, and there were lines around the building waiting to buy gold at that top. Um, it just goes to show you that investors weren't very smart back then, haven't gotten much smarter. <laughs> you know, you look at this return on gold, you know, you have to realize it doesn't do anything. It doesn't generate a dividend. You can't eat it. You can't carry it around. It costs you to store it, you know. The government considers it a collectible. If you sell it for a long-term capital gain, you got to pay 28% tax, not 20. I mean, it's a bad deal. Um, but you know what? The promoters of gold are really good marketers. Um, don't fall. Don't fall for that stuff, guys. It's not something you want in your portfolio. I feel cheated, Bob. I bought a lot of those commemorative coins by watching uh, the commercials on, on Fox. <laughs> Well, yeah, but you know what? You're a true yeah, patriot, Ryan. What is gold worth in Bob coin is what we need to do the calculation That's right. before the show's Well, done. I mean, it depreciates versus uh, Bob coin. We know that. It's the only thing we know. Bob coin only goes up. Um, all right. Ready, Chris? Remember, guys, I always say gold is the hedge against making yourself wealthy. <laughs> there you go. That's a, another great Bobism. Yeah, the hedge against creation of wealth, gold. <laughs> you heard it here. You heard it here first. Bob Payne. Chris. There's a boom in Brazilian agriculture that should continue. The world population is projected to reach 10 billion by 2050. Talking about population today. Food production is going to have an increase by another 50% by that time. And much of that new production is going to come out of Brazil through opening up arable land. Again, you got to have a global portfolio. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. I'm going to announce my retirement from paying capital management today. I'm going to move down to Brazil, sell my worldly possessions, and start a farm. I think productivity is going to go up. Oh, man. The uh, sailboat market is <laughs> going to collapse. He's got so many to sell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, another great show. If you like our podcast, love our podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Leave us a comment there if you would, a review. If this is on Spotify, you can subscribe to our channel. And if it's on YouTube, you can like this episode. You can subscribe to our channel. Click that notification bell so you can be updated every week. I should say of all our new content, your support gives us the ability to continue to do this podcast. That's it for this week. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to the Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. 
You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at bebullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. 